Hi, I'm Alex Zavala. Welcome to Handle Hole's NICU Dad Discussions, a podcast produced exclusively for NICU dads. I'm a NICU dad to two preemie girls, Mia, born at 30 weeks, and Emerson, born at 27 weeks. Combined, my wife Jen and I spent more than 100 days in the NICU. After my last NICU experience, I started a blog called thenicudad.com. I did this to create a safe place for NICU dads to support each other, share their stories, and get much needed information. In this podcast, we will cover many topics that NICU parents face, but from the NICU dad's perspective, such as premature birth, bereavement, PTSD, and many others. These dads who you'll hear share their stories in hope of letting other NICU dads know that they're not alone. Free virtual support groups allow families to access support at all stages of the journey, from the comfort and safety of your own home. Learn more at handtohold.org slash support groups. Having a baby in the NICU is life-changing, but you don't have to do it alone. Join a group today. Hello, everyone. In this episode, we talk to Fabian Tejadud. Fabian is the father of Gabriella, who was born at 23 weeks. Gabby weighed 600 grams when she was born. She went through a lot of challenges during her more than four-month NICU stay. And after, the next several years would require several doctor's visits and therapies. Gabby is now 17. Fabian, his wife Maria, and Gabby have been very involved in NICU and premature birth-related support. These type of support systems were not around when Gabby was born. So Fabian and his family feel it is very important to help families cope with the terrifying experience of having their babies in the NICU. They also feel that by sharing their story and experience, they can give some type of hope or at least a point of reference for other NICU families. Fabian and his family live in Miami. He works at Next Era Energy as a manager of IT planning and performance. This is his story. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you today to the NICU Dad Discussions. Today's guest is Fabian Tejador. And uh, Fabian, I want to, first of all, say thank you for uh, coming on here and being willing to share your story. We, we really appreciate it. Hi, Alex. How are you? <laughs> good, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully this session will be very informative and, uh, and helpful for many parents that have similar experiences, either because they had it or because they're going through that right now and, uh, and they're a little overwhelmed. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. And so Fabian, if you don't mind, um, tell us what your NICU story was, was like and, and how that started for you. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, I have a daughter, her name is Gabriela. Um, she's actually 17 years old right now. Uh, but back in 2002, she was a 23-weeker, and uh, and she was born basically at five months gestation, and um, and her weight was about 600 grams, so which is just a little bit over one pound. Um, yeah, my my wife was uh, considered high risk pregnancy. Uh, we, you know, it, it becomes hard to tell because we lost. 
she, she lost a pregnancy before Gabby, and she was about, you know, I think she was about 17 or 18 weeks when she lost that pregnancy. And uh, her gynecologist uh, basically just blew it off a little bit, saying, oh, that happens to a lot of people. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's going to happen again, but we're going to monitor monitor more closely for the future. Uh, so she became a little bit of a um, high pregnancy profile. Uh, so I think a year after that uh, is when she got pregnant again with Gabby. Uh, and, you know, we she visited the doctor more frequently because of her high risk profile. Right. Uh, so far, so good for maybe 18, uh, 19 weeks. You know how it is. We were so nervous uh, because of the, the horrible experience of losing the first one mm -hmm. that when, you know, after, after 13 weeks, you know, we were just, uh, you know, every week that passed, we were like, wow, okay, one more week. But, it, you know, so... I feel bad for my wife because, you know, uh, the, it, it, it was she never really had a normal, never had a a normal pregnancy, and she right. was so so full of dreams and illusions about, you know, seeing her belly grow and all that. But anyway, I, um, you know, we went to she was seventeen weeks, then eighteen weeks. Uh, the doctor did a I believe the doctor did a checkup on her cervix and the cervix was a little thin. Uh, it was, and, and uh, based on the studies, uh, they recommended that we, uh, that we basically suture the cervix and close it down mm -hmm. uh, to try to help hold the, the baby in the placenta as much as possible. She was not having contractions yet, but, you know, just by having the cervix so thin that um, they, they, they recommended that. So we went ahead and she had the procedure. Um, it was not very invasive. Uh, um, after that, we went home. And, you know, that was at 18 weeks, 19 weeks. You know, we were doing okay. She was, you know, I was trying to take care of her. Uh, she was trying to keep it easy in terms of doing any type of physical exercise or or walking uh, for too long or doing things like that. And then little by little, you know, we went to 22 weeks. Uh, but again, you know, every week was like, oh, my God. You know, it was not an enjoyable process. Just the, forget about the baby being born, just the pregnancy part of it. Because mm -hmm. we were always like so hesitant right. and so nervous about it, right? Right, too scared uh, to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were we were not really enjoying it, but uh, but you know, some once in a while we would forget about it, and she would you know enjoy her belly growing and all that. But then all of a sudden, like around I think twenty two weeks, she started having contractions, and she felt the contractions, and she could tell exactly what it was. And um, so immediately we called the doctor. The doctor 
told her to go to the hospital immediately. And that's how our NICU story kind of started. Um, basically, you know, they admitted it to the hospital and then, you know, they had to monitor her cervix because the cervix was closed. It was sutured. And, uh, you know, we didn't want to have the baby rip it off by just trying to come out. You know right. what I mean? Right. So it was very, very, very difficult. Uh, the doctor said, well, you know, at this point, there's two main things we need to do. Uh, the baby's coming. And uh, it's, it's very, she's very premature. Uh, what we can do right now is try to hold the, the baby in as much as possible. And uh, we would, um, we're going to give you, um, I think it was magnesium, mm-hmm. uh, injections of magnesium to be able to, um, to hold the contractions and try to stretch the pregnancy a little longer. At the same time, they were giving her uh, steroids to try to help the baby develop a little faster like especially the key organs like like the lungs you know mm-hmm. and and things like that because you know at 22 weeks 23 weeks not many things were fully developed yet but you know mother nature you know unfortunately uh, had a different plans and uh, the baby was coming so at 23 weeks they had to you know take her into the surgery uh to first uh you know cut the suture of the cervix and just let the baby come out and 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 see what the future will hold for us um so it was a very difficult extreme nerve-wracking and draining experience gabby was born in october and we were in the hospital for four months uh, it was it was a nightmare that I really I don't wish it up on, on anybody. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the doctors they have to be honest with you. So immediately they basically told us that the baby was too fragile. Uh, now you know science has evolved a little bit, and now babies have a little bit of a better chance to survive at 23 weeks or 22 weeks. But back then in 2002, uh, you didn't uh, you didn't have a lot of success cases like that uh, of survival. So the doctor said that you know her ch- her chances were very low, but that they were going to do the best they can to try to allow her to continue to develop outside, you know, in the incubator. Uh, but there's there's a lot of risks, and uh, and we will talk about them you know, little by little. So after that, we just, uh, we, we became like zombies because, you know, we didn't know where we're going. We didn't know what to expect. It was a very difficult time. We were, we kept on blaming ourselves for the failure of, uh, of not being able to, to deliver a healthy child and, and to force our daughter to go through such extreme, painful uh, process. Yeah. Uh, uh, so here we are, you know, taking it day by day, not knowing, uh, you know, what the next day would bring. Uh, just trying to learn 
as much as possible, feeling helpless because there's really nothing you can do. Most of the times you just have to move out of the way. Yeah. Uh, um, and just let the nurses and the doctors uh, do the work. And uh, honestly, it, it was more an art than a science, honestly, uh, because you could tell that the doctors were were doing trial and error. And uh, we were in a good hospital. We were very lucky uh, that our hospital had different levels of NICU because we were in leg, I think we we were in level three, uh, which is the extreme prematurity type of NICU. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember there were seven incubators and uh, and the room was full. All the incubators were taken and uh, every situation, uh, you know, at the beginning, think about it. You're there just worrying about your baby, but, you know, you're going to be there for a long time. And, and you get to meet other parents. Every baby has a different situation. Some of them are even bigger than Gabby, but have complications. Uh, you start learning that, you know, girls tend to be uh, more successful at surviving extreme prematurity than boys. Uh, they, that's what we learned while we were there. Um, so that, you know, that gave us a little bit of hope, but mm-hmm. it was such a roller coaster. You know, you had one good day and two bad days. And uh, they had to revive Gabby so many times, you know, because she was so premature that um, they had to put in a ventilator, right? She couldn't breathe on her own. Her eyes were completely fused. They had not detached yet. That's how premature she was. So they put some cottons in her eyes to try to block the light and try to protect her eyes little by little. Uh, they had to give her IV, right? So that she could have some nutrients, but her veins and her arteries were so thin that they would just leak into her body and they had to change it, you know, so many times. Uh, they also had to draw blood. Imagine a baby that is barely one pound. You have to draw blood to see how how, how her blood gas is, is, is doing, you know. Uh, but they do it with, a, you know, those little coffee cups. When they give you coffee, they give you like a little red stick to to mm-hmm. stir your coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, they use that to draw blood from her from her heel, uh, and just to see how you know how the blood gas uh, numbers were uh, showing up. So, and you know, your wife is taking it hard. You're taking it hard. Everybody is uh, approaching it a little differently. I became uh, a doctor, or an, I would call it a, a numbers expert. So every day, when I would come, you know, when I come to the to the NICU, I would I would just try to peek at the chart to see how she was doing, and and there were some key numbers that I was always looking at that you know that were important, like the saturation which is basically how she's able to to basically how her how her blood is able to to move oxygen across the body right so 
you know that red light that they put on your finger when you oh, go yeah. to the doctor yeah. and they tell you, oh, you're 98%. That means that, you know, you're, 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 your body is efficient at, at transporting blood in the, I mean, transporting oxygen through the bloodstream. So, but when the babies are so immature and they're not able to use their lungs properly, um, you know, the, the saturation is low. Is it goes from 80 to 70 to 60, and when it goes to 50, that's when they turn gray. Yeah. And then they have to, you know, they call it they have to bag it, which is basically, it's it's like you know they have like a little balloon that they push with their hands to try to basically revive the baby, and uh, and we. You know, Gabby had to go through that like maybe three or four times. Uh, so yeah, it was a uh, it was a very difficult situation. So we were taking it day by day, and right now the doctor says that the the main objective was to to try to wean her off the ventilator so that she can start breathing on her own and 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 be not being so dependent. And that took us like a month, a month and a half to just wean her off because she was very premature and she had a couple of surgeries because um there is a surgery called pda it's i think it's mm -hmm. called patent doctors uh arteriosis or something like that which is basically there is a, a little a little artery that connects the lungs to the heart when the babies are in the in the belly right in the placenta and uh and that's needed because the, the babies are not breathing air when they're in in, in, in the belly. But when the baby is born, uh, there is a hormone that takes care of shutting that, that valve down because it's no longer needed. Now the babies are breathing differently. And, uh, and that helps with the blood flow. But when they're so premature, they don't have that hormone that they need to develop. So the doctors have to go in and just clip it with like a little clip. Uh, because if not, the blood pressure is too is too low, and the babies wouldn't survive. So that was a crazy surgery. They had to bring a, a cardiologist from one of the hospitals to do it, but it was inevitable, right? Um, they have to go in, collapse one of the little lungs. Imagine the baby was like you know a pound. It, this was in her second or third week. Not really. Wow. She, it, it was not not very far into into her life. So they have to go in and collapse the lung, um, clip the artery to just shut it down and don't not let the blood flow through that anymore. And then suture her. Um, and uh, but the doctor said that it, you know the surgery was successful, the baby was stable, and then we just kept on our journey, right? And uh, we met other parents and uh, that had babies there and we became friends. Was, you know, it was like a little fraternity of scared parents mm -hmm. that uh, are going through a lot. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, during the first month, you would see that some of the babies that were there with with Gabby, that you know, they wouldn't survive. They just have complications overnight, and and they were no longer there. Uh, you know, at the beginning, they tell you they were transporting them to another hospital. But after a while, you know, you, you're there for so long that it becomes obvious. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really roller coaster. It's like going through a, a minefield, not knowing 
if you're gonna step on a piece of mine one day and it's just gonna blow up. But we were hopeful. We were looking at the numbers. The numbers were getting a little bit better. I think that the doctors and the nurses, you know, that supreme being that we have uh, watching over us uh, together, they did a, an incredible job. And, and Gabby, most of all, I mean, our Gabby, and I'm sure many babies out there, I mean, there's incredible fighters. They just fight for survival. I can only imagine the pain that Gabby had to go through during those four months just to survive, to, to deal with all the poking when her skin is so sensitive, you know? Her skin was just red. She, doesn't have, she didn't have thickness in her skin. Uh, but she was such a fighter. And uh, so we, you know, we were there to help and to, to support her and the doctors through all this difficult process. And, um, you know, after a month and a half, she was able to uh, overcome the, the ventilator. And uh, so she was, uh, uh, they, 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 she, she, she graduated into the cannula. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and then, you know, little by little, she was doing a little better. Then she was doing bad. You know, it was just back and forth. Um, and, you know, after two months or almost three months is when the doctor started talking about possibly doing uh, uh, kangaroo, ca- kangaroo time, right? With, with Where the baby just rests on your chest. Right, skin to skin. Especially for yeah. my wife, skin to skin, to skin they mm-hmm. call it, yeah. Um, so, you know, my wife was looking forward to that. Uh, but we were nervous because, you know, she was still very small. and. Uh, and we didn't want to make the process worse, but they were telling us that that the babies tend to react, you know, well to the skin-to-skin contact. Uh, and so we were, you know, we both did it. It was amazing. It was really something else. Um, so, you know, we just kept going uh, with the process. Uh, Christmas came. She was born in October. We spent Christmas in the hospital. Uh, then you know january came and she was growing little by little uh she was already like you know maybe three or four pounds and towards the end of january uh she was already uh breathing better uh very little oxygen the saturations was a little better not perfect but better right uh, the doctors told us that typically the the lungs continue to develop during the first two years of life, uh, she was. Um, they also told us that the the vent had caused some damage on um, on the lungs because it's just uh, it's necessary, uh, but it, it creates some some damage that um, that really affects some areas of the lungs. But they basically mentioned that the the further development that they were going to have over the next two years would probably overcome that and and you know and when when uh <clears throat> when she was older she you know she's she was not going to have any problems uh also um you know we were getting ready to be sent home so that was a time where we were also very nervous 
they were training us on everything that she had to go home with, uh, like uh, apnea monitor, um, a little oxygen. She she went home with a little bit of oxygen as well. So they trained us. We had we had already learned how to bathe her and you know take care of her and you know how to do most of the important things. So we were looking forward to that and very nervous at the same time because we were not going to have a doctor and a nurse right next to us when uh, when we had an episode at night or anything like that. But that was that was our journey. So uh, it was really a draining experience, and I can tell you that. Uh, that uh you know we were never the same after that yeah it was something else that's incredible Mm -hmm. that's incredible i know um you know when a baby's born that early um Mm -hmm. it just you never know what way it's gonna go Mm -hmm. but really especially back then um you know you're absolutely right and you know things are different now but i'm i'm curious to know like what what was going through your mind that day my daughter was born at 27 weeks and i know what i was thinking when they were saying you know we're gonna have to go and have an emergency c-section um what was that like for you with you guys being so early in the pregnancy um what what was going through your mind when they you know were telling you we're this baby's coming (laughs) Yeah. Basically, when we heard the baby was coming, you know, my wife started crying. Uh, She just didn't believe she was going to survive. I was also, you know, thinking that it's too early, it's too early, she's not going to make it. And, And, you know, the main thing that came through really that passes through our our head at the time was you know just praying to god and just saying you know we just want our baby to be happy and uh and if you know if the baby is going to be a happy baby regardless of her limitations and her development conditions you know we want the baby, right? We right. we would like to, right. we we pray for the baby. But if the baby, we just we were just sitting and just thinking ourselves, the baby was going to be so so limited and so fragile and with with tremendous, you know, medical problems to the point that it was not going to be a happy baby. We 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 just. You know, we were just thinking to God or praying to God to, you know, to to make the decision for us and to, you know, and to just take the baby, right? Because we 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 really, you know, uh, we want our babies to to be happy, right? Within their own limitations, and if they're happy, we're happy, and we support them a hundred percent. But you know. I really, my biggest fear is to to have a baby or a person that really uh, was just not enjoying life. Right, right. And and so that's really that was our struggle. We were just 
you know, dealing with that on our head. And and we were very fortunate that that Gabby, within reason, right, uh, she came out okay. She has uh, her limitations, and uh, and and you know, the first two years of her life with all the therapies and all the doctors that we had to visit, uh, that was difficult. Um, every year after that had a lot of challenges, but but she was happy and that uh, she was making progress and she was you know hitting her milestones and and uh and that's all we asked for so we're we, we you know we're we're very thankful and we're blessed to to have gabby in our life when you know in her chances of survival was 10 percent okay. and even with the 10 percent uh she was not going to lead a normal life based on the statistics and the data that the doctors were giving us. Uh, but she, you know, she's doing well. She's in high school now. She has a, a little bit of learning disability. She's a shy kid. Uh, but she, you know, she's happy. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's all, well, that's all we can ask for. That's incredible. So with, with your fighter... <laughs> that you guys yeah. had and you saw it um yeah and everything that that she went through um i have to imagine one that that was very inspiring um i know a lot of NICU parents we whenever we have a bad day or whenever things aren't good or we're just worn down and we take a look at that baby and you see them fighting and yeah. that just motivates you like nothing else but my my question is you know once you were you you know you had talked about uh, you guys going home and going home with monitors and oxygen and, and things like that um yeah how you know you guys aren't in the medical field right i mean you know right. you're not doctors but now you have this baby at home with this equipment um, with whatever challenges she has, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was very difficult at the beginning. Um, and we had charts and we created our own little log to just, it's just like, the, just like we had at the hospital with, with different numbers that we will do because she didn't eat a lot. You know, mm -hmm. she was just again the minimum. Um, she had a lot of reflux too. She has all kinds of things. So for us, every every single thing became a milestone, you know, when she was drinking, when she was able to drink 30, 30 milliliters in one sitting, that was a big milestone. And and it's like nothing, but uh, but for her, it was a big deal. Uh, and uh, so she had she had lids all over her, you know, in certain areas of her body with the monitor and uh, but you know, some that was monitoring her heart, but the machine had an awful alarm noise whenever you know the read was, you know, whenever supposedly the, the alarm noise is for to to you know basically show that the, that the, that the baby has a big apnea episode. But sometimes, and she did sometimes, and oh my God, it was such an incredible experience. Uh, because we were alone, right? My wife and I, and we were, we were not right next to the hospital. Um, but sometimes the leads will come off, 
you know, and yeah. then it was a, it's like it was like a false contact, and the alarm would go off, and we would go crazy. Oh my god, <laughs> trying to hold the baby and try to, but then we realized that it was just the lid, and so our brains were just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, but little, I've heard that ahead. before where they say to watch the baby, not the monitor. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I was always looking through the the little crib to 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 see if her chest is moving just things like that it was just yeah. you know but little by little you know it's incredible how we get used to the, so many things that you wouldn't think you would be able to handle you know um so our family was very supportive but they were all you know they were very scared of of the whole situation you know we've never had a situation like that in our family and uh, so, you know, they're holding the baby, all those things, you know, they, 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 they tried not to really get very involved because it was very, very difficult for them. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were on our own for a while. Uh, and uh, my wife, you know, didn't work for maybe two years so that she could stay home with the baby. But, uh, but, you know, that was that was not very healthy either, you know, because she needed some distraction as well. Uh, so, so yeah, it was a it was a difficult process. Just thinking back, I really haven't thought of it in a while, you know, just uh, that period of time. But uh, but at the same time, you know, the she was she was four or five months behind a regular baby because she was so premature but little by little she was hitting her milestones and eating a little more uh eventually we were giving her you know baby food and solids little by little we took her to the occupational therapist and physical therapist and speech therapy uh, you know for the first two years of her life and and she made good progress uh, physically, she was able to to walk, which, you know, for us, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what we were going to get uh, because it's very hard to read a baby. Nobody, not even, not, not even the doctors can tell you if the baby's going to walk or not. We just, we were just there taking it one day at a time. Right. And little by little, she, you know, she started moving and, and, uh, you know, starting to crawl and. She walked, I think she walked when she was uh, 18 months. But the thing about it, 18 months for her was more like, you know, 13 months, which is almost a year. So she 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 wasn't that bad. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so we were always adjusting the clock. We were saying, okay, she's two years, but she's really more like a year and a half, you know, just so that we can adjust our expectations. Um, but, you know... I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to describe it. It, it was such a an incredible journey journey for 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 all of us. But like you said earlier, you know, Gabby was such a fighter, and and uh, you know, she was a happy baby, and uh, and she, you know, she she's really our our hero, our little hero. We have to be there for her, and and uh, but you know, we we saw that she overcame a lot. And uh, we're very thankful for that. Absolutely. So you had all the therapies the first two years of her life. And 
as other preemie parents know or other NICU parents know, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of doctor's visits, therapies, uh, everything yeah. that we see. Um, I think you guys, I mean, that was great. Um, a lot of times we get stuck comparing our babies to babies the same age. And, yeah. you know, when that delays there, I know I did it. And, you know, I'm like, why isn't our baby walking, <laughs> you know? And all of our friends, you know, that had babies at the same time are already walking and everything. And it's, yeah. you know, that's that's very important to, to pay attention to. And, and, and it does make things easier if you do it that way. Um, Absolutely. But, but after those first two years, um, you know, Gabby's 17 now. So mm-hmm. between, you know, the last 15 years, um, what is what has that been like? Yeah, um, you know, every every stage of her life has its challenges. So, um, and you adjust your expectations or your goals uh, because uh, when the babies are growing, you know, you don't care too much about, you know, academical skills or anything like that. You just want the baby to walk. <laughs> so, uh, when I think back, you know, when we were in the hospital, we just wanted our baby to survive and to have a decent chance at being a happy baby that could enjoy life, right? Then when the baby goes home, we want to make sure that we, you know, we help her hit all her physical milestones about, you know, around eating, about breathing without oxygen, walking or, or actually moving, crawling, being able to grab things with her hands, right? And then, you know, when she's two, three, four years old, now she's getting ready to start school. We want to help her, you know, um, make sure that she's able to learn. Uh, and, and those parts were difficult, you know, because she was not, she was not learning as fast as the other kids. Uh, so... But, you know, we were noticing that she was learning at, at her own pace and that she was making progress. She was not stuck, you know, and that gave us hope little by little. You know, she was learning something else every day, something new. Uh, then she went into pre-K, uh, then first grade. And then, you know, between first and second grade, uh, you could tell that she could not keep up with um, the normal curriculum of a regular class. So we got some help and some uh, some uh, psychologists and, and uh, social workers for the school and things like that. And, and she was given a little more time to do the work. And uh, so we, we made adjustments. Um, and, you know, then, but she could, she still couldn't, make, you know, keep up with the rhythm of the program. Then we moved her to another school that had a better program for kids that had you know limitations uh and then she just continued to make progress and get better and she she graduated from elementary and she stayed in the school so at that point at that point your 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 objective and your expectations about your your child uh they change and they become more like um you know, thinking about the future, right? You know, now my baby is eight, nine, ten years old, and eleven, twelve. And, and, and 
you want to continue to push push uh push her uh bring it you know give her as much help as she needs to to try to continue to make progress and overcome the, their challenges because right now you know the goal is not is not to walk or to eat or to grab something with her hand anymore our goal and the challenge is to really help her overcome her limits try to to you know to push her to you know not overcome her limits but you know to just to to be able to reach her capacity right and right. ultimate ultimately the goal is for you know that not only us but i'm sure every parent is really you want your kid to be able to to function in society by themselves right to be able to to become independent and to be able to do the best they can and right now that's where we are you know we're gabby's in high school right now we're trying to support her she's in a special program uh that the classroom the classroom is small uh and she she's she's very dedicated uh but you know she has a, a well they call it attention disorder but in reality you know when she was born she was so premature that the doctors the neurologists because that's another another specialist that we had to go a lot to visit uh, she had a little bit of brain, brain damage and, and brain bleeds uh, that affected some certain areas of the brain. So uh, right now, you know, the doctors, they call it attention disorder. And, they give, you know, she used to take medicine for that as well. She's not taking it anymore. We're monitoring that. Uh, but throughout these years, you learn that uh, the neurological I don't know how to call it, but neurological science and neurological medicine is very, very limited. And they don't know how to deal with situations like Gabby, you know, because what she had was a little bit of brain damage. They don't have medicine for that. They basically, right, right. they push, they, they push, push it into the attention disorder category and they give her medicine for attention disorder, but that's not really what she has. So, but there is nothing better, right? Uh, so, you know, we experimented with a lot of medicine to help her. Um, you know, they had, I'm sure, you know, many of the dads and the moms that hear this have, have kids that are taking all kinds of, you know, learning disability medicine like Vivans or Concerta or uh, uh, Adderall or things like that. Um, you know, some of them have side effects like anxiety. Uh, uh, they they lose their appetite and they lose a lot of weight. Right. right. So you know, just uh, things like that. So, but you you know, it is an, sometimes it's a necessary evil because sometimes you know they get so distracted in school that they're not they're not really learning anything because they're not focusing. You know. And this medicine is, is helps them focus, even though it gives them some anxiety. So it's like it's kind of necessary uh, so that they can continue to learn. Because remember, the goal right now when you start going through school is that you want to help your child become functional in society, right? So that they can have a, a job. They don't have to be rocket science, but uh, but they they uh, you know we 
we really want him to to be able to to hold a job, to be able to to feel independent because that's very rewarding, uh, and to be able to you know to have that in their life. Even though we're always going to be around uh, to support her, uh, we, we we just want her to feel normal, and that and that's really the goal right now. Well, it sounds like you guys are still advocating for your daughter, and Absolutely. I'm sure it was. It's been that way the entire time. Um, was there ever a time where you had to advocate in the beginning? And the reason I'm asking this is is for new parents, new NICU parents that are in, yeah, in that are having to go through their time in the NICU or therapies afterwards or anything like that, and are dealing with doctors. Was there ever any time that you had to advocate for your daughter? You know, with with the doctors, where the doctors might not have thought one thing uh, or are you well hmm. yes i think so it's just that you know after a while our visits to the doctor became like you know very uneventful like you know it's mm-hmm. like we don't learn anything new it's just there's nothing we can do and uh you try to keep pushing what about this medicine what about this other one and uh but, you know, especially with the neurologist, because that's the one that we kept on visiting, uh, you know, for the majority of her life. Uh, you try to advocate, but then you, you, in a way, you kind of give up because, you know, you realize that it's really, it's really not the doctor. It's really the science that is not there. You know, yeah. we, we, there is such limitation on our ability to comprehend the power of the brain or how to heal the brain if that's you know if that exists uh that you know we just we 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 tried different medicine again to try to uh compensate for the the side effects and to find the one that she would react better to every baby and every kid is is different and to your to your point earlier when you were trying to compare yourself to other babies that were starting to walk or even in the hospital right uh you ask yourself why is that baby doing it and my daughter is not doing it, it, it they react to things so differently that it's really not fair to com- compare them you yeah. know yeah, absolutely um, but you know something that we did is um the hospital where she was born they had a little what they call a NICU party every year around the November time frame. So we would go there with Gabby and they had like a little, you know, it's like a little festival for kids with little choo-choo trains and bouncy houses and things like that. But it was in the garden of the hospital. So the doctors that are in the NICU will come down to meet the parents or greet the parents. Many of these doctors were the doctors that were there when Gabby was born. So we created a relationship, but also the parents, the parents that are in the NICU at that time, going through that nightmare of a situation, they would come down to the park, right? The baby was in the NICU and they would just take a break and come down. And and, uh, you just, you know, you can just see them and they're like, they were, they're, they're like the zombies, like we were yeah. walking around the park and, and the doctors did a great job, you know, because they, they knew Gabby, they knew her background and they would, they would pair us up with some parents and say, Hey, such and such, you know, this is Fabiana Maria. They, 
They had a baby here, you know, four or five years ago who was very premature, 23-weeker. And you can tell, you can tell that they're searching for a little window of hope, you know? And and you go, oh, 23-weeker, really? And where's your daughter? And uh, so we bring Gabby and, and they just go, oh, my God. So you could tell that, you know, you know, they go from being zombies to at, at least at that time. And I know it's very hard to compare because, you know, uh, you cannot really tell anybody. Oh, look, my, my daughter was able to survive. Yours will, too. Yeah. You know, right, right. You, you cannot say that. Right. But but during you could see during their in their eyes during that during that moment their 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 hope meter goes up uh and 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 they feel that that they have a chance that the that their baby has a chance because look at Gabby she was a 23 weeker and she's running around in the grass right now right uh and and really that that really that was very rewarding for us to try to at least mentally help some parents so we we kept on coming back and and just helping as much as we could that's excellent and that's actually a great segue into my uh last question for you is what advice would you give those parents those dads what advice would you give those new NICU dads um that are you know first day a weekend um what do you would you have liked to have known that would have helped you. Yeah. And actually I'm, I'm, I'm working with, you know, with our friend Lelis and I know you know her. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're trying to, to help parents right now and, and to, to help the process, um, uh, by asking those questions, you know, and by doing service with other parents as to, you know, if I, if, if I would have been in the hospital right now, knowing what we went through and our struggles and our uh, frustrations, what we would like to see different, right? Uh, in terms of support from the hospital, from the doctors, uh, just psychological help. And, and uh, it's, it's very hard to, 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 to say one or two things is um, we, you know, we really, you know, we 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 would have liked the the, the doctors to be a little more, uh, more more. Uh, how do you call it? To to partner with us a little more, mm -hmm. uh, to share information, uh, and uh, and to be able to to, to allow us to help uh, in our own way. You know, um, also. Uh, about sharing information, I had to learn on my own because, you know, that they wouldn't share some information. I understand that because, you know, it's very sensitive to to be able to, you know, allow the parents to look at all the numbers and all the the charts that they have. It's 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 just it's not, you know, it may not be the best for some parents. So every parent is different. So what I would you know, so for the parents, my recommendation is just try to adjust your expectations, 
try to take it a day at a time. When you're in the hospital, anything can happen. But have faith because the babies are incredible. Your babies are amazing. And they're going to surprise you every day. So you just need to open up your heart and, you know, to the baby and to to your God and to the doctors. Try to develop a relationship with the nurses and the doctors uh, so that they, you know, they, they can see how involved you are. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones that are trying to help your baby survive. And in the worst case scenario where they don't survive, you know, yeah. it's very hard to to try to blame somebody uh, because the doctors are trying to do the best they can as well. And again, you know, I'm just sharing my experience from the hospital that I went to and the relationship that I developed with the nurses and the doctors, right? Unfortunately, not every doc- not every hospital is the same. Yeah. Uh, and forget about the doc the hospital. Your experience with the doctor may not be the same. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's really more about the baby, about you know having faith and and just support your baby, let it in your God's hand, and and you'll be surprised how incredible the babies are and how much they fight to stay alive and and just grab onto that and and take it a day at a time don't try to think ahead you're gonna it's not healthy for you or your wife just take it a day at a time because it's it's a difficult situation it's very very difficult and and uh try to find comfort with other parents that, that really helps us a lot comfort with other parents Try to find out if there are any programs like the ones that we're doing here in Miami uh, where you could learn from other parents. Uh, Because, you know, again, I'm a numbers guy, so I like to compare myself and my situation to other people uh, for good or for worse. Uh, So I I always want to have a point of reference to know where we're going and where we're coming from. That's excellent. That's some great advice. Well, Fabian, I want to thank you so much for being on here and sharing your story. Um, I wish you, you. Maria, your wife, and Gabriela, and your entire family, we wish you guys the best and, you know, good luck in the future. But um, once again, man, I I can't thank you enough for for being on here and and sharing your story and, and, and Gabriela's story, too. I mean, just what a fighter. Um, Yeah. But uh, I really want to thank you, and I want to thank everybody out there that's listening to this. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of uh, the NICU Dad Discussions, and we hope you catch us on the next one. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for me. If you are a NICU dad in need of support or want to become a mentor, please visit our website at handtohold.org. There you will find information about Hand to Hold's National Peer-to-Peer Support Program, Professional and Educational Resources, milestone bead program, support group curriculum, and much more. You are not alone. For more information or to speak to a Hand to Hold staff member, contact us at info at handtohold.org.